Just a quick apology. For some reason, there were some technical issues when recording this episode, which has left a irritating buzzing in the background, which we weren't able to get rid of in post-production. We have now resolved the issue, so it shouldn't happen again in the future. Uh, If you could bear with us for this episode and perhaps look past our misdemeanour, it would be much appreciated. Do you have a passion, hobby or expertise and want to share it with the world? Why not do a podcast? The Podstation offers a wide range of packages to make this a reality, ranging from training and support for those who have no idea where to begin to podcasters who just need somewhere to host their show. With prices starting at a mere £15 per month, you can now get involved in one of the fastest growing entertainment forms in the world without all the headaches. To find out more, visit thepodstation.co.uk forward slash station dash packages. And remember, those with passion, podcast. You're listening to Disco Fever, exclusively on The Podstation. Welcome listeners to another episode of Disco Fever. Welcome back to season three of Star Trek Discovery episode one. That hope is you. Once again, the two marks are delivering an irreverent review, providing you with lively debate, conversation and social commentary. Let me introduce my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Pollard. Hiya, mate. Not to start on a bad footing, like, but I I do need to correct you on your intro. So if this is the first time you're listening to the Disco Fever episode, you'll quickly realise that, yes, I am an arse. Um, (laughs) I remain consistent throughout. My good friend has referred to this not being the first show. Should we explain to them why? Do you want to explain to them why, or, or shall I? I'm very glad you brought that up because, in fact, fact, there is a fundamental reason why they would be acutely aware of the lacking in other shows, and that is due to the Temporal War, and Season 1 and 2 podcasts have been caught up in that and will be uploaded very, very soon for people to recap and reminisce. So we have another show called Picard Talk, which we're going to be publishing this show, Disco Fever, on our Picard Talk channel and on the own Disco Fever channel. Ironically, we actually started recording Disco Fever well before Picard was even on the uh, script, wasn't it? We've recorded all of Season 1 and we've recorded most of Season 2. It's just somebody got stuck in a wormhole who was in charge of editing. I don't know who that is. Uh, And as a result of which, we're actually publishing our first episode as episode one season three but we don't care do we we'll drop yeah. we'll drop those as bonuses for people at a later date at some point if there ever was a reason for an excuse to be provided i would say i haven't actually got one <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna have to take all the flack that comes and own it and that is it and it, but rest assured despite any possible excuses that could be given i am on it and they will be uploaded so the way i expect to have it happen following this one, episode two of this season, will be an upload of another episode. I'm going to go down the road of Disney Plus and call them 
legendary episodes. Oh, nice. And that's my get out of jail free, or in fact, get out of the wormhole free. <laughs> we should also point out that we're in the middle of a, a world pandemic. Unlike our previous shows on Picard Talk, which was obviously a show looking at and covering each episode of Star Trek Picard series, we are having to do this remotely rather than in person. So we're currently experimenting with our recording systems. It's going to be a lot better sound quality. You may or may not be able to hear a little annoying bleep in the background. If you can do, I'm dead sorry about that. We normally can get rid of it, but for some reason it seems to be playing up. Hopefully for the next episode it won't be the case. If you could just persevere with us, it would be most appreciated and you have our abject apologies for our sheer technical incompetency. Isn't that right, Mark? I thought the annoying noise was me. Well, uh, and me too. <laughs> so there's three annoying, three annoying noises, all of which we apologise for. Absolutely. We should get stuck into the show. I don't know if, if you haven't ever listened to a Picard talk episode before. It may be worthwhile listening to one because you will very quickly get the uh, the style and the content because we're going to be true and consistent to how we approach these things, which is we are both very much Trekkies. We love Star Trek. We are nerds in our very special ways but we don't necessarily take what's the word i'm looking for we're not precious no that's a great description we're not precious about our love for star trek and we are happy to accept and to discuss in great detail where we feel it has left its ass hanging out of the window slightly agreed and that will be evidence in this episode and in Picard. Well, will it be evidenced in this episode? Because what do we think about this episode? I like it. Ah, Joe, it's fucking brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I loved it. I think if this starts and carries on, I think this will be the best season so far. Wow. Setting the bar high. I mean, I've got I've got to turn that slightly with the fact that Picard started really strongly as well and then had a bit of a wobble in the middle and then strengthened up a little bit. Star Trek Discovery, I thought, I've enjoyed both seasons one and and season two. They've been very different and people have obviously banged on about this repetitively about how it doesn't feel very Star Trek it's all very grim and miserable all the time. I didn't really have an issue with that and there's lots of things I really liked about Discovery up to this point. There have been some bugbears and obviously people will find out those bugbears as we release our legendary episodes or whatever we're calling the old ones like the away team always been the same people over and over again and who was it that we have in our um our transporter room who does all the jobs dave 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 the transporter man who also is the chef and the doctor when the shot and doctors and etc etc but i have to say this was a cracking start to the season oh i absolutely agree i'll explain as we go on into the show why this is going to be an epic season before we go on to the summary and synopsis the reason why this one started strong, Star Trek Discovery has taken a long time to find its footing. If you think about how the start of the show started, it was about the Federation, the Klingon War, and then it quickly became a show about the Mirror Universe. And then it was about legacy and trying to establish the original series characters. And then it very quickly became a show about an evil AI that was trying to destroy all of the things. Now, season one opener on a planet with a planet-based episode that has no canon. It can be its own thing. Apart from its links to Enterprise, none of the fans can go, hang on a minute. It taps into your thing that you like. People will develop over their love for the legacy episodes. The technology matches the time. Yeah. This now, nobody can have a problem with it. 
because they can create their own narrative. There's no existing canon for the period of time they're in. At the same time, have little nods to things. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's new and exciting, isn't it? Everything's new and shiny. We don't know where it's going. We don't know who does what. We're going to be constantly being brought up to date on who's fallen out with who and who works where with what and how and if and when. And that's great because that whole exploratory Star Trek vibe, isn't it? Which sort of comes from the original series and very much the next generation where there was a lot of introduction to new things and new species and new canon as it were i suppose some of the biggest criticism particularly of discovery is that they went back didn't they was a prequel to things that we'd already knew of had happened that kind of created a bit of a, a restriction on what they could do and how they could do it now i'm not as hung up on canon so i didn't really care i just want to be entertained but i can understand why other people who take it a bit more i say seriously with all the respect but are a bit more invested in the accuracies of the universe as a whole can understand why they got a bit upset and what they've done is they've just completely released the shackles because now can't blanche to do whatever they want which is fab yeah and the other thing as well i think the tone of this is far more grittier and i do feel if you have the right actors and right good characters they play a huge part in how the show will be received. I thought that season two was too touchy-feely, trying to keep everyone happy, not cause offence to anyone, keep dropping stuff in that was topical, but also noteworthy for the show. Star Trek has never changed the world, let's be honest. But what it has done is given us opportunities to consider and think outside the box. I think the season, I hope, with this opening episode, that it's a much grittier, it's more fast-paced, it's got a lot more action in it. I thought... The characters introduced, bear in mind it was just at what we call a, in the thespian world, a two-hander. Oh, yeah! A two-hander, which I've never had because I've got a small penis. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> anyway, you've got the guy who, unfortunately, was in Night Flyers. A bit of a shit show. Is this uh, book? I know, the character name is, what's his name? Cleveland Book. Yeah. He was in, I know David Ajala from Supergirl, played the DC character Manchester Black. British guy, fantastic actor, strong, solid actor. And then him with Sonequa Martin-Green. And I know her from Walking Dead. Great character she played in that, but also a really great actress. The two of them handled the show and the pacing of the show really well. Just think with everything else with it, with the strong characters, it just felt the whole of the episode and hopefully the season has been given a huge upgrade. I mean, you say grittier. Actually, I thought it started off and I was slightly worried when she was obviously having a nervous breakdown, which I don't necessarily criticise her for for being potentially stuck on a, a planet we know mates forever. But I kind of thought to begin with we were going down the same route. But over the course of this episode, it had shed loads of humour and light-hearted moments. And the character interaction was anything but gritty. But without crossing that line over into slapstick, as it were, by the end of the episode, I actually felt very happy and optimistic despite the rather challenging circumstances that they still find themselves in. Yeah, it was good. I guess we should get stuck into the nitty-gritty of the episode, mate. Do we have a summary? Because, of course, you've taken responsibility of that because my summaries previously have been utter shit. (laughs) This episode's summary, Benham arrives 930 years in the future, navigates a galaxy she no longer recognises while searching for the rest of her crew of the Discovery. Discuss. 
Oh, very good. Yes. Well, I suppose we should start with the intro to this episode, which was particularly emotive for me. I mean, it really struck a nerve in particular was the intro with the guy for a couple of reasons. The first being that what that fellow was doing was essentially what I have been doing for the last nine months in lockdown, which is getting up and doing the same things on repeat every single day. I mean, about the only difference between me and the fella was the fact that he bothered his ass to shave and get a haircut, neither of which I can nor still can be bothered to do during this lockdown marathon. I was quite impressed with what I thought was like nanite furniture. Oh, it was brilliant. Amazing, just walking and next minute your bed appears. Quite like the use of the bed as an alarm clock. There's Um, two issues there. I mean, the first one is with the bird. It'd be getting whacked if it was waking me up every morning. I mean, he was quite calm with his little wave of the bird away, but I'd be whacking the thing if it was waking me up. And secondly, it seems that all his furniture is in the one room so he's in bed he gets up in bed bed disappears desk appears in the place where the bed was while he gets his teeth cleaned in the corner where does he go for a poo and if he goes for a poo in the same place as where his desk goes is there not going to be that lingering smell and what happens then if for example Burnham turns up for this incredibly important historic occurrence where he meets the person he's always wanted to meet to do this gut-wrenching the emotional scene with that waft of poo in the air because he's just had a, a number two moments before she's walked in. Another thing you haven't picked up on is there's no toilet roll holders or toilet roll. So does he actually accidentally bum under as he's <laughs> welcoming her into his office and just waft more like cupcaker? <laughs> I mean, these are the questions, guys, we want you to answer. So get on the socials. But the other question or the more likelihood, I would rather have an old fashioned rooster because there's nothing better than a massive cock to wake you up in the morning. <laughs> or so my ex-wife said. Is that why you're no longer together? <laughs> Correct. Oh, dear. Go back to my small penis comments. <laughs> Or at least that's what she put down as a description of you in the uh, divorce proceedings. <laughs> Large yeah, that cock. was the Cree nice eye was uh, small penis. <laughs> at this point, we had no idea what this fellow was doing or why. I mean, they obviously gave some indication with the searching for Starfleet signals at the end, and we've obviously been preempted with sort of spoiler information leading up to this that the Federation doesn't exist in this future so we kind of knew where this was headed but we didn't know in what context which we'll come to later I guess. It then quickly jumps into the intro fight scene which is pretty cool I like the the fast paced action opener there because we get to see her hurtling through space picking up from the end of season 2 she suddenly emerges into this quadrant of space with all these destroyed Federation ships question mark there's at least one Federation ship that I've seen when I saw the second run through clear something's happened developed later on in the episode I thought that was a really good intro it's kind of edge of the seat stuff isn't it you don't want to start ambling we comment on the other episodes where they just spend half the episode walking down a corridor yeah boring isn't it there's only so many corridors you could navigate really good start to it I was a little bit worried at this point because I have to say first introduction of book I've watched it a second time and it's not as bad the second time but that first scene where he's interacting with the the fella on the comm screen uh, about what he's 
nicked. I mm. don't know, it came across as that really hammy, tropey conversation and the acting wasn't quite up to speed at that point. And I was a little bit worried. I was, I was thinking, oh, my God, I hope that this isn't this bad all the way through. But actually, it turned out that scene wasn't as bad the second time and was largely the only time where I thought, mm, not quite as good. But it was great. It was very Star Wars-esque with its sound effects. And, I mean, they put some serious money into the special effects on this, haven't they? Yeah, and the other thing is that all the sound effects are all brand new. Yeah. Because it's a new time. All the technology is brand new. Of course, yeah. That's you know, true. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with what you're saying. It, it does, actually, the opening scene, it's a bounty hunter chasing its prize, a treasure seeker trying to find the lost city of gold. Someone who's been given a job, a courier. To be fair, typical courier doesn't turn up when you want it to. You spend all day waiting in and it's damaged. <laughs> Something's gone on. He's running off with something he's stolen. It was, like you say, your typical scenario with those archetype characters. But then it did actually start to improve as time went on. I think he'll be a, a strong character. This episode, directed by, hopefully I'll say the name correctly, Olatund Osunami. So apologies if I've completely destroyed that you name. You butchered that. Well, we'll see when he writes in. But he <laughs> actually worked on the Star Trek short treks and has, in fact, been executive producer on about eight or nine of the Star Trek Discovery ones. So similar to Jonathan Frakes is a seasoned Trekkie. I think actually based on this episode alone, I think they should aim to keep hold of him. I really enjoyed this. And I do think, I know you'll agree, if you've got someone who's got a love for the show, who's been an actor on the show, particularly with Jonathan Frakes' case, they bring something else. They bring an additional je ne sais quoi to the, bit of French there, to the episode. I just thought that with the lush landscapes and the tundra, just really, yeah, really set it off. It was stunning, wasn't it? We did start with, as they come crashing into the planet, that traditional one creature eats another creature foreground shot, didn't we? We see that in everything, don't we? Which isn't as funny when you've seen about a thousand of them. What I did find quite amusing was that when Burnham, who's obviously a pure human being because she's in Starfleet, throws up, she throws up pure water, which is impressive because my pukes never looked that colour. I don't know whether that's because she looks after herself and eats correctly and that's what people's sick looks like when you eat properly and uh, pure of the soul. Yeah, it was clear. Maybe, Interesting. Maybe that's politically correct sick. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's offensive for people to see what sick looks like, so they need to avoid the sacks of letters coming in, which go, keep it clean. <laughs> <laughs> when she took off the exoskeleton flight suit, let's call it, I quite liked the onesie on her. Yeah. That thing she was wearing, whatever it is. I thought that was quite a nice look. I quite like the bag as well. I'd buy one of those bags. I'm not sure what I put in it, but it seems quite good. Your lunch and your flask of coffee. Not necessarily ergonomically smart, though, because the strap only goes over one shoulder, so you could end up putting a lot mm. of strain on that muscle if you're walking a long way. And bearing in mind, she's now trapped on a alien planet. That doesn't bode well, does it? You'd think you'd spread the weight with an ergonomic rucksack. Just saying, Starfleet. Although yeah. you don't exist anymore, so there's no one to... <laughs> to correct that problem is there well maybe that's why because of the repetitive strain injury claims they just had to they folded <laughs> they folded they couldn't afford to pay them all very possibly <laughs> right in Starfleet correctors if that's not the case we do very quickly come across our friend Buck who you've just mentioned before who I thought was very Thorian in his speech he goes no I do not want to meet thy acquaintances and by he's a big strapping lad isn't he what a solid character he's, he's a be. specimen you just look at him in awe and you go yes please you do you look him and think are we at the same race because I don't think there's anything on him I recognise on me <laughs> be fair if there were things of him on me I would be going yes I can manage <laughs> to begin with as I say I was a little bit 
mindful of the fact that was he going to be this typical scavenger mistrusting of the world but a good guy deep down and I'm glad we pushed through that quite quickly because he established some nice characteristics early on I think. Yeah I think if it had carried on the way it was going it would just ordinarily be your same old same old bad guy protecting something joins forces betrays the person we've seen it how many times? Yeah. I'm glad it subverted the expectation because it leads people down a dark path and then go ah actually this guy has got some morals he's actually a good guy as we pull back the curtain further we see that the reason he's behaving the way he is is for a larger cause yeah if you look at it in a term of somebody would do anything for the family we've seen it in films before where somebody needs a major organ and they turn to a life of crime to pay for it or something it's similar to that i'm glad they didn't follow the expected route and we ended up with the character we have because now she's alone on the planet but she's got an ally now isn't she yeah and i thought there was some really good chemistry almost instantly between that character and Burnham. I thought he brought out some of the characteristics of Burnham that you don't really get to see all that often. I mean, she was very flirtatious with him, I feel, in a in a non-obvious way. She was quite spunky with him as well. I mean, I love the fact that throughout the course of this episode, she just kept on clocking him round the face to advocate her disgruntlement at his behaviour, <laughs> to put it as diplomatic as that. She thought he was an arse for giving her up and wanted to repeatedly tell him by punching him in the face. And I thought that was quite good. And in return, he was I hate cats but I really loved that whole cat interaction where she went by Jingle that's a that's a big pussy <laughs> And he turned around and he's got thyroid issues. It just, it just brought me back to all those conversations you've had with people when you've been in their houses and they've just got this big fat cat walking around the house. Oh, it's thyroid. It's thyroid, my ass. You feed yeah. it too much. Just to anyone who owns a cat, your house stinks. <laughs> the other thing which is, is interesting if we're going to dissect the characters, Buck's character has grown up without the Federation. Yeah. He hasn't had the institutional authority that Federation brings to associated planets. He has brought on this rogue, renegade-style characteristic. But actually, as the plot thickens and the story develops, they are very similar. They both are trying to help other people. They both have a centred reason to exist and go out and do good for other people. But they've both been brought up in two different environments. So he's chosen to be good, even though everything around him would suggest be otherwise yeah I just thought that was an interesting dynamic to it all I really like him I'm looking forward to seeing more of him I think he's a, a good character I suspect he's going to be the love interest at some point I don't want to be too preemptive but there definitely feels to be a bit of a spark although of course did Ash come through on the Discovery he didn't he left didn't he because he's in the spin-off Section 31 Section 31 show do you know what's really sad because his character was so wet I'd forgotten all about him if in fact, I'd even go so far as to say I'd, I even skipped the do you want to be reminded of what happened in season two? I should really look. On the basis that we're doing a podcast about this show, we probably should have been a bit more professional about this. I didn't skip it. I'm trying to think if he appeared, and I don't think he did. No, I can't decide. I think he stayed. I think he got off the shit. He went onto the Enterprise with Pike. It's just character was just poorly managed. That's the best way I can explain it. It wasn't well written. As an actor, I'm sure he's Clem Fandango. 
probably a very good actor. However, as we've said on our other sister show, A Film Podacy, many, many times state you have to, as an actor, go with what you've written. You have to work with what you've got. And I don't think he was given a lot of growth in his character. No. Because it just seemed one of the most obvious developments of a character you could ever imagine. And you just knew where it was going to go. And it didn't get excited. It didn't make me feel good or bad. I just really didn't care for the character, which is sad when you consider he's been in, what was it, two seasons? Yeah, well, season one, he was quite interesting. We're kind of going off piece here because at the moment, we have no idea where he is. We're not even going to be sure if he's in the rest of this series. <laughs> so let's not get too hung up on that. He was good in season one because, of course, he had that dual characteristic that came as a bit of a mid-season mic drop. But in season two, they never really advanced that anyway, did they? And no. Burnham and Ash had a relationship in season one and kind of tiptoed around the prospects of doing it in season two. And I'm kind of glad they didn't go down that way because if her and Buck, and to be perfectly frank, you would if you were Burnham, wouldn't you? Buck's got some muscles. Then I quite like him. He definitely seems a more interesting character. Maybe it's because he's new and shiny to us. Maybe, but I think you also want a character that you can bounce off in a non-sexual manner. <laughs> and a sexual manner. <laughs> uh, well, you know, if you want to go there, let's do it. Let's do uh, Disco Late Night at the <laughs> Oasis. He's a really strong character. She's a really strong character. I just felt Ash was just a long drink of piss. And, uh, <laughs> I just think Burnham would own his ass every single time. It doesn't matter whether he's... Well, I don't want to give any spoilers for people who've not heard our shows, but if you've seen season one and two, fucking spoilers, mate, innit? <laughs> It's not really a spoiler, is it? Because we're going back in time and we're in the yes. future. He's been a person, but he's also a Klingon. And then he's got this duality of being Klingon and a person. Maybe that's the problem. He is too Klingon y. Hey! We're all weak. So, anyway, yeah. But anyway, moving on from Ash, because we don't want to talk about Ash. Uh, that's another show. Yeah, and we don't also don't want to mention the fact that you're probably quite pleased that Stamets is lost in the galaxy somewhere. Fucking am I? I think I signed the petition for that. <laughs> Fucking hell. I'm the only doctor in living memory in one medical bay. It's like, when has that ever happened? I watch episode after episode of Casualty, and there's never one doctor. They're all usually hanging around the uh, water machine. Having a chat going, we need a doctor stat. Getting back on Beast again, because that's what we should be doing. What's the score with? Starfleet because the gist I managed to get from this and you you will understand this more because you know the lingo is that basically Starfleet ran out of petrol and therefore couldn't fly the ships anywhere and as a result of which it all went to rack and ruin and the reason why they ran out of petrol seems to have been that it all just exploded for no apparent reason. Well I think what you're saying comes after the dilithium overloaded and exploded, thus rendering the ships broken. Mm. The running out of petrol happened because the dilithium that was the petrol exploded because it forms the major core components of all warp drive capable ships. Every ship. You've always had, I think every season, the inevitable warp core failure mm. where they're abandoning ships and there's escape pods going hither, there and whatever. Basically, a warp core breach is essentially the destruction of your ship. Mm. When we say the dilithium crystals exploded every warp capable vehicle exploded and they wouldn't have known there would have probably just been a warp core breach and they probably wouldn't have had time to escape all ah, right so we're saying that the ships blew up with all the people yeah. on it right okay yeah. if you go back to a card things if you think about how many ships have been lost in well even not even card if you think go back to the next generation we lost 30 odd 40 odd ships in the first Borg war the the war containing the dominion we lost a pile of ships you think about rebuilding if you lose 
use all of your warp core capable ships. That is the entirety of your Federation. And then you think about controlling planets. Very quickly, what you'll have is a vacuum and there'll be a grab for power, which we've seen in history many, many times. I suspect that is why. Then there's another little thing. It's an Easter egg alluded to about the Gorn, which I'll go back to later on in the show, about the fact that the subspace communication, which is the only way to quickly speak to people, it's essentially like having Skype. That's all gone. Or other online communication options, unless, of course, Skype wants to sponsor us. Email discofever at thepodstation.co.uk and bring a big wallet. Nice. The Gorn have destroyed two light years of subspace communication. Now, that's the quickest way for the Federation to communicate with all their vessels or other planets, in fact. Otherwise, your messages will travel like they do now and it'll take weeks to get the message across. Not only have you lost all of your ships, you can't keep in touch with people and that with maybe the huge loss of personnel. There's only so much Dave can do. (laughs) Well, we don't even know whether Dave's in this timeline yet, do we? There'll be a Dave in every timeline. (laughs) Dave is one continuity that will continue. Well, he needs to reproduce at a hefty rate because, of course, he does so much. He needs lots of mini Daves to crack our Davettes, whatever the female Davettes. This isn't a sex-specific role to fill. It is just quite simply someone who can do everything all the time. Well, I would pose that it is a sex-specific role to actually get more of the Daves. In fact, if anything, it's a very sex-specific role. Although what we could do is splice him with triple DNA and he'll just think about sex and explode into 400 Daves. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. We've established that Starfleet went to pot because it ran out of what is essentially fossil fuel, so it's a very environmentally poignant storyline, I guess, for the times. What do we think about the tech? There's lots of new tech in this. Certainly we see it from, or rather on Book's ship with the consoles. Everyone's seems to have a little transporter device on their person which allows them to pop around wherever they want. Did we like it? I, I did. When I was watching it, I was thinking of you. Uh, oh, thank you. I was thinking of you. <laughs> when we talked on the Picard show about the tech, even the tech in Picard looks retro in comparison to the tech in this show. And again, going back to what I said earlier, I think that's a really good thing to do because we're no longer comparing it like we've done or I've done in fairness on Discovery show we've done, uh, allegedly. You know, we basically, I say, I don't think that design of ship matches the period they're in because we've already established in an earlier show i.e the original series that it looks far better and shiny when you're earlier in the chronology if you've caught up with that yeah no i'll get that yeah 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 thinking more of the listeners you're used to me jumping around about talk about temple mechanics and quantum physics if you're struggling with that people just take a paracetamol sit down (laughs) and get a bottle of beer it's fine (laughs) it makes a lot more sense then or you just don't care um (laughs) this actually just removes all of that problem you just make stuff that gives the designers carte blanche to be creative to whatever you've already said the budget looks set to be far more substantial we've commented before on how things look more cinematic in their intros it's a really good idea to position it where they have yeah it's great i love the consoles not sure i understand how they work yet i mean i even liked burnham's response when she saw people doing the personal transporter thing and there was that tone in her voice where she's like oh my god personal transporters that thing that we do we go oh my god that's that's amazing where did you get that you know that surprise which is brilliant i like it and she's gonna love the fact that a toilet just appears 
is out the floor for you to have a poo wherever you want, like Mr. Sahil. Mr. Sahil was able to benefit from. With your comment about the toilet, <laughs> is it, if you can't see the toilet and you just go into a room and you're kind of going, what's that emanation? You either think he's shat himself. Well, this is it. This was my concern. I mean, I appreciate we've gone off piste a little bit again, but there is going to be a lingering smell in the air, unless, of course, they have the technology to remove that scent beyond just spraying it. You don't get one of those air sprays and just go for as long as you can possibly go to just mask it. Like all the dickheads did when COVID-19 broke out with putting bleeding car air fresheners around the house, like that was suddenly going to frighten away COVID. (laughs) 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 Or... Never. Maybe that's another reason why the Federation wasn't able to continue after... What, COVID? The, well, maybe COVID happened. They'll just use their transporter and transport away, wouldn't they? It would be dead easy. It's like, never mind, two meters, two planets away. I think the problem is, how many treaties would you be able to sign when you're in a room stinking of shit? <laughs> These are important things that we need to discuss, people. Let us know. (laughs) Why don't you message in and let us know what you think? What would you be concerned about with having all your furniture in the same room? If you you go onto our social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's at Picard Talk. Let us know. And, of course, we will digest and maybe even touch upon this in future episodes as it continues to bug us. One of the times when we do see the technology, of course, is when Buck and Burnham decide to... That sounds like a cop show, does that? Buck and Burnham decide to meander down to that place, whatever it was called, I'm sure you've written it down, to do a a trade or to deliver his cargo. Of course, he betrays her at this point, which I found quite irritating because it made no sense whatsoever why he would betray her, having clearly established that she wasn't out to get him and there was nothing untoward about her. He just kind of dropped her right in it, which I thought was a bit of a, a weird move and didn't make an awful lot of sense. It's probably the main story part of this episode that irked me a little bit. Well, the thing I picked up from that transaction was they'd obviously had this subtle truce. They'd gone off to this place. I'm trying to think it was called Paradise or Sanctuary or It'd something. It'd be on with like. an M, didn't it? Message in and tell us what it is and obviously sign off by telling us that we're idiots for not knowing this. Well, let's be fair. We know a lot of stuff so far. So, you know, if that's the only thing we don't know, it's not a pretty bad thing, is it? But when they get there, I think the reason, we mentioned it before when he's going down this natural characteristic of you know, the betrayal and he knows the reason he hasn't got any dilithium caused by hair crashing into him so he's a, a little bit unhappy by that so they go to this place to sell hair antiques he then decides that actually he's probably going to get more dilithium by getting all of the stuff off her so he betrays her for the, a bigger reason whether it be that heart transplant for a family member or 24 hours because you've got a terminal virus in you and you need to get the antidote held by a villain who will only give it to you if you break into a bank it's all that kind of stuff that's the reason he betrays not because he's a noob because he's thinking as we see later on in the episode as we unpack it it'll all make sense there's a bigger wider reason why he needs to get that delivery of his cargo yeah so I don't think he betrayed it because he's a dick I think it's because he's got a, a larger ethical problem to sort out mm. we were quickly then introduced to the two people who seem to be running the gaff one of whom reminded me instantly of Rimmer from Red Dwarf ah I'm glad you said that because one of the things I was noticing
Spencer said about the Orions and the Andorians, they look a lot more beefier. Yeah. I like the subtle update to the Andorians and the Orions. Totally get you because he's got a massive forehead, hasn't he? The only thing he was missing was the H on H. his pod. <laughs> that he was yeah. going to be a rimmer. Anyone who's familiar with the Orions will know that they are the organisers of the Orion Syndicate, which is an inherently villainous organisation. Well, it's the cartel but, of space, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. But others who have been long-time listeners, first-time callers, will be familiar with the green-skinned humanoids. Most notable have been called the Green Orion Animal Women, who are females who come across as mere slaves, but actually wield a... Well, they're in charge, aren't they? It looks like the slaves, and you've seen them depicted in all of the shows, because you don't see a lot of male Orions, but you see them depicted as slaves, but actually they wield this pre-naternal influence over humanoid males, not just the Orions, but other species. Actually, when you break it down, they actually have far more independent and powerful thinking and appearance that you would first indicate. Actually, because I'm colourblind, I didn't realise the fellow was green. He looked gold to me. All green? No, I'm colourblind, mate. That was gold to me. <laughs> gold? Yeah, he looked a bit gold. Well, if you're colourblind, how can you see gold? Just see metallics. Well... <laughs> It's, it's obviously selective colour blindness. I think it's, it's green and reds I have a difficulty with. We don't have difficulty with blue. You've taken enough five pound notes off me. Hey! <laughs> I would do if yes. you ever gave one. <laughs> I like the upgrade, really. I felt that we've seen them so many times before and they've always looked, although they're both powerful races in their own way, they've always come across a little bit weak looking. Nothing against the acting of the people who played them, just simply because they really have beefed up the look and they've beefed up the people playing them as well to make them a bit more powerful. And the other thing, which is why I go back to what I said earlier about the show being gritty, what about those phases? Oh yeah, well, baby. Those wrist guns or whatever they're called where they just materialise out of your arm and then you really obliterate people. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I want to get me one of them. <laughs> the next time I'm getting petrol and someone's not putting a face mask on, boom! <laughs> next time someone's leaving the supermarket with all of the toilet roll, yep. boom! Absolutely. Next time someone parks in a disabled space, boom! The applications are endless. <laughs> this actually started a sequence which I actually thought was really, really good. And it starts when they put that spray in Burnham's face. She sort of goes on this blabbering monologue, which I thought was really well done. Amazing. I, I, I thought it was fantastic, really well acted. And then it almost becomes then just one continuous action scene, doesn't it? As they jump from like murdering numerous Andorians in the exchange centre because I can't think of anything else to describe it as. Then across, obviously, the planet as they're doing a jump from spot to spot. I thought that was quite good. Obviously, interspersed with Burnham punching the shit out of Buck, which made me chuckle every time she did it. Yeah, for two reasons. One, because powerful, strong female lead, but also, he just took it and nothing really happened. He just carried on as if... Yeah, well, he didn't go, what was that for? Or he didn't... He he, kind of knew he deserved it. He absolutely accepted that 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 was coming and he just started to suck it up but again it just builds this relationship between the two of them that he knows he's behaved like a dick he's owning it and that's the repercussions but I totally agree that scene moved the story on so much I think that's why this episode grabbed me because it was so boom 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 all the time story 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 obviously part one was Burnham and the situation 
she finds herself in. I suspect part two is going to be finding the Discovery team as well, in whatever context that is. And what we've seen in previous season starters is that there's quite a lot of tracks that they sort of lay down in them first couple of episodes. It can feel quite laborious and quite hard work. And they didn't, they found that wonderful balance between giving us the background information we need to feel like we have at least some sort of grasp of where we're at and what's going on but at the same time giving us enough interesting action and storyline to keep us interested to be excited it sort of leads on to the the big reveal as it were of his avatar-esque at one with nature powers which were quite cool and obviously the reveal of his big slug uh, that was sleeping in his ship i did like to see that we've got the equal opportunities of the sexualization of the male form because i don't know how many times you've taken your top off to apply some aloe vera to somebody's gunshot wound yeah yeah obviously there was nothing wrong with him except his top was wet he has to take it off obviously burnham who's also wet doesn't have that luxury but (laughs) well let's be fair we see a lot of scantily clad women and you know what someone who always has a bit of a popper things in society i don't particularly agree with i actually am very happy with that because i think it's fair no no i agree does make you breathe in a little bit And you don't necessarily lean for that second biscuit that you were going to go for at the time when you see these things. Well, I breathed in so much, my ears blew. <laughs> oh, by Jing, he's a big lad. Oh, he's been working out, yes. And he's got a delicate touch as well, which makes him the perfect man. Yeah, he's got my vote. <laughs> <laughs> so after he'd finished putting some leaf goo on her arm to fix her, we obviously find ourselves with the unveil, which is the slug that he was transporting to save the species and to save the, the creature itself. It was a very men in black moment when she got swallowed by the slug and then spat back out again. It was very reminiscent of the Will Smith scene. Is it in the, the first or the second one? I can never remember. It's Tommy Lee Jones, isn't it, who gets swallowed yeah. by the slug and he blows it up from the inside. Again, that's another thing we've seen quite a lot in films, haven't we? That type of thing. Yeah. I mean, I didn't mind. At this point, I was just having a, a good old giggle and a bit of fun, so it didn't offend me. That also was the big reveal, isn't it, about the reason why he betrayed her. Actually, then in your mind, you start to think, ah, you know what? That's okay. Even though they've had to kill 20 Orions and Andorians to get to that point. So we're now mass murderers, but it's okay that he betrayed me. <laughs> Yeah, if you can overlook that, he's a really sensitive guy. (laughs) But yeah, I did. I really like that. We we obviously had the slug. We relocate the slug on the planet and all's well that ends well. She gets to do her thang with other male slugs and they make baby slugs and that's all good. The scene that you're talking about where they have the cargo revealed as the slug, to you and the listeners, did anyone get a Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe when he tells her to close her eyes? Yeah, it did feel... like, because his ability to communicate was very Avatar. The slug thing was very Men in Black. You've just said there yourself, it was very Raiders of the Lost Ark when you have to turn away. So I don't know whether there was a, an internal competition to see how many film... Riff off. Yeah, they could riff yeah. off. Exactly. I mean, what I did notice, and it was actually a little bit of an early Easter egg in this episode, there's the, the random selection of the aliens that transport station before they unveil the massive slug, or what is known as a transworm, the Andorian 
Orions, the Orions, but you actually get to see a species called a Lorian. Now, anyone who's an avid fan of Star Trek will know that that is the species from Deep Space Nine from the character called Morn. Yeah. Remember, okay, Indeed. from yeah. We love Morn. The Easter egg within, inside an Easter egg is the reason he's called Morn is because that is an anagram of Norm, who is a character from Cheers. No. Always, oh, yes. Double whammy. Boom. Episode one. As you say, we get to go to SeaWorld where we see all the transworms doing their thing on their sexual reproductive cycle, which is not something you get at your fitness gym. Um, <laughs> I, I got banned trying to introduce that. <laughs> Apparently it's not a thing, but you do get a good workout. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah and then we pan to he agrees to take Burnham to someone who might be able to help her find her gang and we then move on to possibly the one scene that nearly made me cry before we move on to the scene that nearly made you cry and I think it's the same scene that I was saying to you off air did anyone think that the wooded trees behind SeaWorld was reminiscent of the planet Nibiru from Into Darkness the J.J. Abrams film the third one i think no you know the opening scene of third film with the running they've just uh, got this art of, it's yeah really, oh yeah the color of the yeah, trees yeah, yeah. oh yes. yeah maybe so i wasn't sure i mean i pick up these things and i go oh maybe it's little nods you know little dropped hints of things i don't know well but, if they um, want to disagree with us matt they'll have to get in touch they will indeed going back on to what you were saying so obviously saved all these endangered species and then he says aha come with me which you don't necessarily want to do with a fella you don't know just point of advice there kids but yeah we then go on to meet Mr. Sayhill who nearly makes me cry quite frankly I mean what a nice fella absolutely and committed well he's more disciplined than I would have been because I would have made myself the King Admiral's supreme leader of everything forever if I had been left to my devices and that flag would have gone up a long time ago so god bless him I would have used that flag to wipe my arse that's what I would have done <laughs> Desperate times and all that. Well, when he was talking, I just wanted to give him a hug and then I forgot what a hug was because we've obviously been in lockdown for that long and we're not allowed to touch other people these days. But yeah, I mean, what a nice fella. Every morning for 40 years. And we're not just talking him, we're talking legacy. Yeah. As it explained in the scene, he's not a commissioned officer. No, he's doing so this for free people. He's not even been furloughed at 65% of his wage. He's getting zero in Star Trek when he exists. That's what he says. He starts coming out with hope is the most powerful thing and sometimes it's the only thing it's like flip it heck could this guy get any better I've got all of the elements of being a Starfleet officer but has no reason to oh I was hypnotised by the way yeah. he spoke it, the way he spoke just had me every single syllable I loved him I want more of him but get him signed up if you think about it on today's world stage where we sit with things now and how important it is for him to say that I think it mirrors what we're currently going through we're in a pandemic and never has it been more important to say hope gets you through if you just turn off the news and you focus on what's important hope will in fact get you through and so, teamwork working together for the benefit of everyone is these are all the things he was talking about and this is where sort of the mood and the tone of this episode sort of started to become very star trek it felt like the thing that we all fell in love with it, it wasn't over the top we'd had our humor we'd had that nice bounce between burnham and but and then we had this guy who was just saying look someone's got to do it and I've, you know we keep on doing it because it's not something we want to let go and and yeah oh, honestly if i hadn't been rushing to watch this in time to record the show I'd have probably st- 
and feeling under pressure to actually write some notes, I probably would have started crying. <laughs> that never happens, mate. You're never under pressure to write notes. I never write notes, do I? <laughs> <laughs> there's no pressure apart from growing more of your beard and hair. There's, that's the only pressure. <laughs> when it off air, I was saying to you there was a, a moment in this episode where the hair on the back of my neck and shivers went down my spine. That was the bit. Yeah. Particularly when she commissioned him as an officer, oh. she was like, oh, I was like, oh, dude, you've got it now. You can put flag up. And then did it, did anyway, you know, when they do the handshake and she shakes his hand and then he puts his hand on hers and then she put, he puts her hand on hers. So we've got a four. Did anyone think that a fifth hand was going to come into that handshake? They was going, where's that come from? And But the book was going to get involved as well. It's going to become this, this big handshake of lots but, of people. Well, the other thing I thought was really nice is having seen how book was, and I mentioned before that he hasn't grown up in a world of the Federation. When that guy did that amazing inspired speech, did anyone think that actually book would think, ah, maybe now is the time to rethink my position on the Federation? Well, I think he's already on that same page. I mean, his response to that, he, he sort of smiled quite warmly. It was as though this is something he already believed in and he quite liked the fact that these people were talking about something that he had in common with them, but on a completely different level. It, it was sort of the same cause, but coming at it from a different angle. Absolutely. And he got to put his flag up, which makes him happy. And then he brought the bad news that his Wi-Fi signal on the goes next door is about as useful as a chocolate teapot. <laughs> Classic example of getting somebody to do something you don't really want to do. And so she says, well, you clearly have all the trappings of a Starfleet officer. Why don't I commission you? And you can be... <laughs> you can be in charge of this station and its communications, which he's already been doing for 40 years, can I add? So <laughs> he's kind of done that apprenticeship period. He's been on trial and he's kind of proved he can do it. But she's basically given him the job he already had, which on the face of it seems pretty useless because he's got no means of actually communicating with anyone beyond the end of his back garden. Two tins of beans and a piece of string. I love him. God bless him. God loves the trier. Now he is a commissioned officer and he's now been given the fantastic job of what he had before. No pay still, but now he's got a flag to look at every morning. Well, do you think his desk is going to change now he's a commissioned officer? Because it was quite a plain desk, but do you think when it now pops up, he'll have the crystal decanters on the side and a name plate saying commissioned officer and, you know, some nice pens, pen holder, some cigars in the corner. Do you think we're going to come back and he's going to be throwing his weight around because he's now, he's changed him, power's changed him. I think it'll have, when the desk elevates out of the floor, it'll have the theme tune to Star Trek. <laughs> Brandy glass with a half-smoked cigar in there, as you say. And you'll always need paper clips. Yeah. Never, ever, <laughs> never enough paper clips. I've been using the same box of paper clips for about 10 years. That's the thing. Whoever designed paper clips, I didn't think this through. You can keep using the same paper Paperclip. <laughs> and do you think he's... <laughs> You do keep finding them everywhere as well, don't you, paper clips? Yeah, it's like Lego. You might not have any Lego in your house. Guarantee you two things will happen. It'll be in your Hoover bag and it'll, you'll tread on a piece. <laughs> Do you think his toilet seat's going to be gold as well? When in the morning he does wake up. He's changed him. Honestly, when we go back, he won't be the same guy. I think he'll have one of those Japanese toilets, you know, the one that has a heated seat on it and that plays music to you as all Wi-Fi and stuff like that. With the three seashells. 
<laughs> he'll need something, but he might actually. In fact, he might actually have toilet roll now. Commissioned officer, of course. Yeah, he might go to three ply. I don't know. I mean, maybe the problem with why he's got no toilet roll is because COVID nineteen. <laughs> Some some arseholes, some arseholes jumped on a cargo ship and decided to transport half the toilet roll. The couriers nicked it mid-transit like uh, exactly. it sometimes happens. Absolutely. So where do we think this is going to go then? What do we think we're going to see in episode two and what do we think is going to be the underlying theme for this season? Well, I hope we don't see the Discovery till the second half of this season. I actually had forgotten about Discovery, as evil as that sounds. So you just want Burnham on an adventure on her own? I mean, and that's I, not going to happen, is it? People are going to be screaming about paychecks if they, they only get used for half a season. Well, they got credited in the episode. It didn't turn up in it. <laughs> so they, get, they get a credit. The way they'll have the season levied is, first part of it, call it, I don't know, Discovery Season 3A, will be this trying to establish communications, trying to rebuild the Federation from the ground up with the philosophies and belief systems in place from the Gene Rodenberry era. And then the second part is, he does say to her, you all know about Temple Mechanics, and a lot of people go in, uh, I don't and I'm going yes we do don't we could be a day it could be a thousand years could be six episodes it could be seven episodes the second part of season three will be the discovery appears and then trying to get them to sort out whatever's happened with control I think it would be a waste of character to lose but in the second episode third episode I really think there's a lot of a way they can go to develop that dynamic I mean in the trailer there's a couple of things I think which are clues I mean in the trailer we see the discovery crashed on the planet which doesn't bode well for Discovery. They obviously will fix it, but then we've got the issue of fuel in it, don't we? And how they're going to get over that problem, who knows? We also have a scene where Burnham has dreads. She's got braids long hair. I personally think that part two of this episode will be years down the line, so it might be two, three years down the line from when she arrived in this time frame, when eventually they appear and she's able to team up with them. And so solution one is to figure out how to get Discovery working again. Part two is going to be how can they perhaps start to try and bring together all those people who want to be part of the Federation and start to rebuild it. And they will have Burnham who will have a very brief overview of what's happened in the intervening period to help them adjust to this time scale and then it's just going to be the rest of the season is probably just going to be them having to achieve the rebuilding of the Federation as against the background of the society the galaxy as a whole so they'll have to fight the bad guys whatever they might be they're going to come across new species who they might be unfamiliar with because they either weren't around or weren't known about in their time frame I'm looking forward to it because it's going to be all be new isn't it I mean I agree with what you've just said but to add to what you've just mentioned what's the causality of the crash of the discovery is it this thing referred to as the burn now taking a step back and realising that this season was written during and post COVID-19 is the burn a virus that affects dilithium crystals causes them to overheat does the discovery come through the trans war core end up in the whatever quadrant we're in the planet she tries to get on which is not the one she she's on is in the beta quadrant the planet she's on we don't know what quadrant that's in at all assumed now because we've assumed that the four quadrants are all connected because of federation as it was is the burn a virus that creates a heating of the dilithium crystals causing a warp core failure and does the discovery crash because it enters and ends up getting that virus maybe who knows it's going to be exciting to find out though and if it's based on this episode as a, a bar for the quality of the episodes I'm looking 
looking forward to this season. Oh, absolutely. If it carries on the way it has, it's going to be my best one yet, I reckon. So what would you give this episode out of 10? Based on what I've seen so far, and just on this episode, 8 out of 10. Ooh, punching high. Just for the, the record, people, Mark normally gives everything a seven with with like i think one exception so to go eight early on that that's a strong start just all the reasons i've mentioned really i really hope it continues the way it is i just think the whole episode started really well maintained pace maintained character development the story wasn't one that has my eyes rolling or losing interest in it it really brought me into it as a viewer it kept me interested it kept me engaged couldn't ask for more i'm gonna give this a nine i'm gonna give it a nine because often i get quite frustrated particularly with the way in which these episodes drop because they're every week you can't just binge your way through so i've just finished watching or getting up to date with the handmaid's tale and because of course when i finished the end of season one and the end of season two i already knew that i had a full season to work my way through so you weren't as impatient to get through that first episode of that new season to get the next story arc up and trucking and sometimes you can become quite patient and almost as we mentioned before it could become a bit laborious building the blocks to create the arc for that new season and the thing that this episode did really well is it bypassed all of those usual problems and gave me enough to keep me entertained whilst also creating the backdrop for a new arc all at the same time and so I actually never became impatient about this episode I just thoroughly enjoyed it to be honest it wasn't until sort of the last 5-10 minutes I'd realised that actually we hadn't even come close to finding anyone from the discovery yet I was, I was quite happy with things as they were were, which kind of is testament to how good the story was so yeah I'm, I'm on board with you with this one my friend yeah and the other thing which adds to what you just said is there was enough threads to the story to keep you engaged further past this opening episode which is the burn what's the burn they refer to only two other federation ships in operation where are they are they commandeered by somebody else are they controlled by other people these are the things that now will move into episode two and so on and so forth while we develop the season further then we get all of the exciting programmable matter which i said was nanotechnology and few subspace channels to communicate there's a limit of dilithium crystals we've got this bartering system at the marketplace to try and get it the technology is far advanced that burnham is used to which means that the whole process of the story can go anywhere at once amen dude we have a section which we've always done on picard talk and unbeknownst to the rest of the world for reasons we've already touched upon we've always done in disco fever where we have a fact section you stowers with your nerdy expertise are there any easter eggs in this episode that are worthy of note I'm glad you asked that question. You would think, with an episode starting so far in the future, that they wouldn't probably have many. But in fact, actually, there's been quite a few references in this episode to TV and films that came before. Uh, and in fact, there was a quote from the showrunner Michelle Paradis and Alex Kurtzman mentioned several times that because it's 930 years from 2257, that puts them well out of the constraints of canon. This episode demonstrates the meticulous understanding of what came before but obviously gives you a a deep desire of everything that's going to come from this episode onwards. Starting from the beginning of the episode and very quickly working through, as we see Buck's uh, impressive ship flying through, we get to see the saucer section of a Federation ship. And we know this because if you use it at the right time, you get to see the NCC. So we don't know whether 
it's a 31st century ship. We don't know whether it's a 30th century ship or even older. Now, for anyone who's ever wondered what NCC stands for, it was established in the original series, Naval Construction Class or Naval Construction Contract Number. goes way back to when part of the registry of American ships to have NCC and then Russian vessels around the same time had CCC. Although it's not the Navy, Gene Modenberry kind of carried that and it's now canon. So that was the first one. Books on board computer uh, tells him that there's a space anomaly and this is the anomaly caused by the wormhole that Burnham flies through with the time crystals which is the end of season two's finale called Such Sweet Sorrow part two they land in as I said before 3188 now a lot of fans were trying to do the mathematics and they think you're okay well it's set in 2257 so that means it will be arriving in 3187 however obviously it's a year later we're not sure why they've done that it'll obviously be explained I suppose in the season but it's important to note that Burnham didn't land on the planet Terralisium which is what her destination was but that's seen in Discovery Season 2 episode New Eden book tells Burnham the planet she's ended up on actually is called Hema if that's the right or Hyma if that's the right pronunciation Terralisium was in the beta quadrant we don't know where Hema or Hyma is actually located she's quite happy when she arrives because obviously the computer tells her from her exoskeleton that there are multiple life signs she thinks because Control had destroyed all life that she'd fulfilled her mission I suspect um, she was also happy that she wasn't on the planet on her own. I thought cool the Discoveries landed as well and that obviously the planet inhabited because it looked a bit grim didn't it when she first landed why she says I've saved all things because she thinks her mission has been complete and then we find out later on that that's not the case one of the most exciting easter eggs where you get into your mind being blown she creates the last red signal for Spock yeah so in season 2 Spock sees the last red signal the signal he sees is what she creates in the opening episode of season 3 yeah to let her know that she's She's the causality of that signal, but we don't know it's her until... Don't think too hard about it, people. Your brain will come oozing out of your nose. <laughs> well, that's the wonderful thing of temporal mechanics. The other Easter egg is as she lands, she, she asks about a Delta Shield in an emergency ration pack that you liked with the single strap. The Delta Shield is the Starfleet badge. Fans have called it the Delta Shield. We call it a Delta... I call it a Delta badge, really, but it's basically the Delta symbol. Shield sounds more official, doesn't it? I didn't reckon yeah. much to the ration that she had didn't look particularly appetising. By her six made out of water. The interesting thing about the word data shield, it's been referred to by fans, but never ever mentioned in anything to do with Star Trek. Clearly an indicator, I would hope the writers are listening to the fans where applicable, putting stuff in, a nice reply to them. The new open credits, anyone who doesn't skip past them because it's on Netflix, Oops. who are not the sponsor. I did. I did, I skipped. What did yeah. I miss? Each time they've had a new season, very subtly, the opening credits have changed, like similar shows that have got onto this. So this time we have a generic humanoid face, which appears to be more female. There's a line of Starfleet robots, which must mean that they're going to have a, a larger role later in the season. First two seasons, you had a Discovery era phaser, which then morphed into the original series phaser which now becomes a future phaser. Book's ship is now in part of the opening credits. We get the future Starfleet logo, which appears twice, once early on on its own, and then again in the transporter in season two, the section 31 badge appears. Those two badges have changed since season one. If you've skipped past it, you'll have missed all that. Oh, but yes, I have many times. I have done that, but this time, because it was a new season, I didn't on purpose. No, I should. Uh, any I other ones? I mean, Netflix normally make you watch the first episode 
episode intro and then they'll let you skip after that but it's just a knee-jerk reaction when you see that skip option you just go yes my impatient brain will not wait one minute 30 seconds or however long it might be we can see Burnham kicking out some of those moves of her uh, martial arts which is the uh, Vulcan one called if I'm going to say it right Suze Mahna we've seen it in the prequel series Enterprise we saw it in context is for Kings which is one of your favourite episodes in season one of Discovery we saw it with two synths practising it in one of the episodes of Picard which was Et Arcadia Ergo part one so that was nice to see that again a little bit of a nod to it then the other thing which is a little bit of a thought maybe more than an easter egg one of the things that's mentioned in in this episode is Buck mentions that the nearest wormhole is a hundred light years from where he is now my suggestion to the listeners and yourself is could that be the wormhole from Deep Space Nine possibly the Bajoran wormhole exists and is part of this canon it depends on where you're feeling that they are we don't know how far into space they've expanded over that because it's quite a long time is 900 years isn't it even allowing for the fact that the Federation hit a bit of a blip sort of 200 years going back or thereabout yeah. she could quite literally be anywhere in the galaxy couldn't she we're assuming she'll be in and around say the, the Delta Quadrant or the Beta Quadrant perhaps in and around that sort of area but she could be bloody miles away considering the fact that that's you know 100 light years away which is what Warp 1 so if you've got in fact you could probably get there quite quickly with sub light speed you'd be okay so any cargo ship could do that probably 100 light years is maybe a couple of weeks possibly I haven't worked out the uh, the mathematics on that if it is the wormhole from, from Deep Space Nine it goes from the Beta Quadrant to the Gamma the Gamma Quadrant now we haven't seen much of the Gamma Quadrant since Deep Space Nine now what a wonderful thing it would be to see a bit of that in the future so we can introduce all of these new species which we see at the very beginning who we don't know who he is we've never seen before the brand new species amazing again the writers must be having an absolute field day I mentioned it earlier the other easter egg double whammy the mention of Gorn who we, we've seen that classic fight scene with Kirk the big rubber crocodile <laughs> Book mentions that they've destroyed two light years of subspace. They were introduced in the original series episode, Arena, where Kirk fights them. But we also had a lot of references to them in Picard. And then the last one, which ties most of the history of Star Trek, Book references Scotty and Tilly's other best friend. When he mentions to Burnham about whipping up some dilithium recrystallizer, he's referencing the idea of dilithium crystals being constructed artificially, referenced in Star Trek for the voyage home when Scotty goes to get some help from the stolen bird of prey and then in the short treks that not many people have seen they're on Netflix you've got to look for them hidden gems and unfortunately due to the fact that we live in the UK they're not all there but in the episode Runaway Tilly meets Poe who's the queen of Zahia who also invents this technology a little easter egg that kind of brings in the whole family of Trek that's really what I saw I'm sure there was others that I missed I only watched it twice I didn't spot any of those well done mate hopefully you've enjoyed our first episode review we're going to be doing doing these every week so we're going to be recording them as soon as the first episode drops and releasing them as soon as we possibly can from the point of dropping so that you can get your fix in between episodes hopefully you've enjoyed us you can listen to the show on all of the major podcast platforms apple google spotify deezer tune in the whole plethora if you go to the podstation.co.uk if you go to the disco fever tab you'll actually find links for all of those platforms and then if you subscribe the link 
latest show when it drops will just automatically download on your device which means you don't even have to keep an eye out for when the next one drops it just does it by magic it appears as though it was a personal transporter device we'd love you to get in touch with us give us a follow on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram now we're going to stick with the app picard talk pages there are some actually some app disco fever trek pages which we might post to at the same time but actually we set those up i think with a rush of blood and then realized managing one account's hard enough managing two just a pain in the ass <laughs> stick with the picard talk ones you can also find me i'm at mark r pollard and all of the usual platforms and how can they find you mate so yeah a uh, good question in my twitter account very simple to remember it's mark latham underscore mark two as in the iron man suit capital m capital k two well i i <laughs> You you realistically came up with the most complicated handle in the world ever. Listen, guys, if you can find him, it's like buried treasure. I'm like the A-team. If you can find me and you need me, you can hire the A-team. It's very (laughs) funny if you were born in 1970 onwards. Couldn't get Mark Latham because he is the Prime Minister or MP in Australia. He's also a bit of a dick, I think. Uh, (laughs) It seems to be a a running theme then. I was going to say that we we share a a common theme. Mark Latham underscore capital M, capital K, I-I, Captain... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you struggle to find it visit the website thepodstation.co.uk it's all the W's but in this day and age I don't think you need all that now do you I don't I think the pewter does it for you fantastic catch you next time guys for episode 2 which I'm sure will be super mega amazing just like this one thanks for listening guys see you next week away team out away team out